Welcome to the Invadian Podcast. I'm your social media and public relations specialist, Eric Chambers. Today, we're delighted to have Shelly Shaw, the executive director of the Hoover City Schools Foundation. She'll sit down with us and discuss their organization and what they're doing to adjust to COVID-19. How are you today, Shelly? Doing well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for making time for us. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about the Hoover City Schools Foundation. Well, we were formed in 1992 with an endowment from the uh, Alabama Power Foundation. And this endowment allows us to always have some funding to give grants and over $600,000 to teachers in our 17 schools has happened since that time, since 1994. And during this time frame, we've had a lot of exciting opportunities to be involved in the community, to host events, and to get volunteers on board. It's been a very good foundation to be a part of and also bridges the gap for several of the funding opportunities that may not be readily available all the time. The schools do receive funding, but where they may fall short in the classroom, we can come in and hopefully give them an opportunity to apply for a grant and we can award them with that money. So in a nutshell, we would be we'd be considered a fundraising booster type organization for all. That's incredible. Yeah, I've grown up around teachers my entire life. My grandfather was a teacher, my mother was a teacher, and I know very well how much of their own time and money they pour into the classroom. Any help is greatly appreciated. You said that comes through grants. How do teachers apply for those? Yes, so a grant cycle starts uh, at actually in January of most school years. That way a grant committee that is made up of board members can review the grants and obviously evaluate them and see if they're falling in line with some of the needs of the district. Once those RFPs go out, there's a deadline and we try to make it as easy as we can knowing how much is on a teacher's plate. We're not asking for pages and pages and pages of an explanation of their project, but we do want to know about what it is, what exactly they're trying to accomplish in the classroom, and how much money they're looking to have to spend on this. And most teachers, they're very aware of the fact that we don't have enough to give to everyone, but we do have plenty to try to give to those that are really focused on the need, such as basics, just getting back to basics for this particular school year. There's been some learning loss based on the pandemic. So if there's a way to recoup that in the classroom, they're very creative and they come up with great ways to put that down on paper, let a a committee evaluate it, and hopefully get awarded the money for the next school year. So right now, we're waiting on all the applications to come in by February 19th. And once they're in, they'll be reviewed and decisions are generally made by May with checks that go out to the teachers by the beginning of the following school year, which is usually August. And they'll give us a report mid-year and um, allow us to come in for site visits. And from there, we just are able to brag on these teachers and on these students and how we were able to help them accomplish goals for that school year. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the more notable grants? Any specific projects that teachers have initiated? Oh, yes. We've had um, one in particular. It's called GEMS, and that's Girls 
engaged in math and science. And this is one that obviously is for a particular demographic for girls. And uh, what we have found is that getting the elementary and middle school kids excited about math and science, they get to have an expo and they get to have a fair, almost like a science fair, where they show off their particular projects that the students do. And that has been exceptional because what happens is those girls may find that they're very talented in math and science. Then when they're moving on into high school and they look at their course selection or look at what academies they might want to be involved in, many of them choose those math and science-based courses and classes. And again, it just gives us a chance to really make sure that we're offering every student meeting all the different students' needs, and it's a very focused program. So it's girls engaged in math and science. It's known as GEMS, so that's one of them. We've done a few things involved with STEM projects, which of course is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Looking at the statistics for that, it's pretty staggering how much fewer young women are involved in those because compared to young men. Speaking of COVID, you mentioned learning loss earlier. I can't say that I've heard that term before. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Well, and I don't think that that's something that any of us would have necessarily thought of until a pandemic, until this this particular event. You always hear about a summer slide or a backslide. That is common, where a student, usually a younger student in reading, we'll just use that as, as an example, has obviously worked really hard through that school year. They're at the reading level they need to be at. But if they don't continue something that summer, there may be a slide. So a summer slide has always kind of been taken into account. That's just part of teaching. That's part of human nature. We may not continue our reading or practicing our math or or doing some of the things that, you know, you do do during the school year. The learning loss that we're all becoming aware of, it's really no one's fault. It's just part of this domino effect that has happened through the pandemic. So students who have not been able to be in class, necessarily in class with their teacher every day, and maybe that's the kind of student they are. They really need to be in front of that teacher. It may really be something that they haven't been able to manage very well by being a virtual student. Then then you're going to have students who have really excelled by being a virtual student, and that's where they've been able to do their best work. Um, We really won't know exactly what this looks like until some testing is done. There's always our state testing and, of course, our graduation testing and and those type of rates that will come out at the end of the summer is usually by the time we have some data for this school year. But to be honest, anybody can put in for a grant that is about that academic recovery. We would love to see a lot of that in the grant committee and be and just know that there are teachers that are aware and again this is nothing but a symptom of the problem that is no one's fault but that teachers are going to have some good solid ways to be inventive to keep the kids attention and maybe to have to represent the same material maybe in a different way and in a way that they can recoup quickly as they start back the next school year again it's something that we would not have necessarily been talking about this time last year, but it is part of the conversation now. That's an interesting point. It's not necessarily anyone's fault, but there are some parents working several jobs. They're frontline people and they aren't able to spend as much time helping with children with their homework. Some students definitely learn better with more structure in an in-person teaching environment. As we consider other implications of COVID, you mentioned you were primarily a fundraising organization. 
I know most nonprofits that I've been involved with, they raise a majority of their funds through events. How has the pandemic impacted your ability to generate funds to support these grants? It's the same story for most nonprofit organizations through 2020 and and now moving into this new year. There's a loss there, too. There's just been too much that we didn't know early on. And if you had an event planned, it was much safer to postpone. And as time has gone on and we've learned more, and we've now got a vaccine opportunity for most of the population. It's all different now. So I say that to say most of what we had planned in 2020 has moved into 2021. We had one campaign and that was done through donations called Commit to 36. That was actually, the goal was met and that was able to be a success, partly because it was not an event-driven fundraiser, but it was more about the community coming together. So in a typical school year, there's 36 weeks. And if you have one student who comes to school for 36 weeks and there's a dollar for each week, that's $36. $36 towards one student can accomplish a lot for that school year, for that one student. So committing to 36, commit to 36, was a way for us to get the community saying, yeah, that's something I know I can do. It's not asking for an outrageous amount of of giving is something that most people were able to give and they knew that it was going towards the schools and the students. I say that to say we'll continue that effort. There's always going to be a school year, whether it's 36 weeks or not, I'm not sure. It seems to be that way and it works. $36 is a, a donation that a lot of people are able to give. Now, having other events that might be a ticket price that's higher or involves sponsors, involves other elements to events that are a little bit more expensive, so to speak, or involve a little bit more investment. Those type things have been had to be put on hold because a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, a lot of people, just everything's different right now. And in terms of where they're able to give and what they can give to, and we recognize that. That's something that every organization has had experience, and it's certainly not anyone, again, no one's fault, just part of this pandemic. The events that we hope to have, we already have slated for April 30th, Denim and Dining, which is a absolutely fun event that the community looks forward to. And it was very, very, very hard to make the decision to postpone it. But as we now see, most organizations had to postpone or cancel many events last year. And what we have decided is an outdoor venue would be wonderful, and we're going to be holding it at Aldridge Gardens, which is here in Hoover. And by being outdoors, there's a little bit more safety, I think, with the protocols that we have in place, masks, of course. All the things that we're currently doing here in February, I expect we'll be doing in April. So those protocols will be in place, and it does involve our Jim and Nick's barbecue. We have a a fun meal planned. We'll have entertainment. We'll be able to have a silent auction, a live auction. We'll be able to do a lot April 30th to get Denim and Dining back on the calendar. However, it is going to be limited tickets because, as we've seen, venues can only have so many patrons at this point. So we will have limited tickets, and those tickets would go on sale in March. And that would be at our website, and that's hoovercss.org, and you can purchase there. We'll do everything we can to minimize the touching and the the things that we've all learned to do, where the least amount of contact (laughs) is best. You won't get a ticket. 
you'll have your receipt on your phone and you'll be able to come in and do your bidding for the silent auction from your device, from your phone, and we'll be spread out. We'll be spread out in the pavilion area so that we've given thought to the distance between families and between people. So I feel really good about it. The committee is in its planning stages, and we're going to move forward and know that April 30th is the date we're, we're pushing for, for that event. We all appreciate every effort to be safe. This may have been a win in disguise, though. Aldrich Gardens, really a great venue. I spend most of my spring and summer lunch hours walking around there. They're the type of organization, obviously, they have their guidelines and they're very safe. So we're just falling under that umbrella. We'll do what they tell us is within their protocols. But it is pretty and there's parking and you can walk around. And if it's great weather, which it might be, I hope it is on April 30th. Fingers crossed. You know, you, yeah, yeah, you can just get out and maybe do a little walk. I, I agree. It is a gym here in the heart of Hoover. And this will be our first time to have our event there. It's making some lemons, lemonade out of the lemons, because again, we might not have gone to an outdoor venue unless we might have been forced to, and it's not that we're being forced to, but that's certainly important to us right now. We want people to feel good and feel safe and know that we're doing everything that we can to, again, reduce the contact and reduce the amount of time you're spending with other people and spreading out. So again, Aldridge, they're excellent. Everything they do is first class, and I know it will be a first class experience for us there too. And we look forward to getting involved in the event. Look here in the description of this podcast for a link to that website where you can get tickets. So tell us how you ended up involved with the Hoover City Schools Foundation, Shelley. Well, that might even go back all the way to my PTO days when I, when I was serving as a volunteer. What I realized is they want to serve or they want to have time, but a lot of people don't. And it's understandable. We're all pulled in so many different directions. And as my son was growing up at Rocky Ridge Elementary School, I had opportunities to give my time. And I realized what a terrific education he was receiving and what a special place that was. And I guess I thought, wow. If this this is one school out of out of many, this is probably the way it is everywhere else. And so I was able to get involved on a bigger level. I was the Hoover Parent Teacher Council president. That's an organization that brings in all the PTO presidents. We meet monthly. You share. You share the success of a fundraiser or you share uh, what didn't work at your campus, at your school. And I started to realize that we had made such a good move being in Hoover and allowing our kids to have such a great education in, in Hoover City Schools. The next thing I know, I understand they have a foundation and they have an event called Denim and Dining and I'm there and I'm just going and doing and having the silent auction, having the time of my life, having a great time. And I start learning more about what does this organization do? And then I start realizing, well, they're part of the the success or part of this recipe of the success. We've got an organization that's specifically fundraising and boosting the schools. That's the Hoover City Schools Foundation. You've got your PTOs. That's all happening on site with the principals, with those teachers, with those students. But this is even bigger. We have opportunities come throughout the year where you can apply for board positions. I was able to apply for a board position and was brought on to the board. And just as a board member, just as someone to get in there and kind of keep, I guess it was just one of those working boards where I knew I was going to be able to get in and, and be able to have uh, t tasks and jobs that were volunteer led and that I could participate. I had some time to devote to it. And um, I was named 
secretary and then moved into the vice president position and um, then became an opportunity to apply and become executive director. So um, probably a long answer there, but I think it was just in the cards somehow, some way with the excitement and passion that I have for these schools, these teachers, these students, and these opportunities. It just felt like um, a good place for me to put my energy, and it is an outstanding board. The people that I work alongside, they're just terrific community leaders, people from all different walks of life, and um, I have found it to just be one of the best things that I've been able to do as, um, as a member of the community here in Hoover. There's no such thing as a long story in a podcast. We want to hear all about it with all the details. It's great to see someone who is so passionate about an organization. I feel so fortunate because I have found that my best work is done when it's mission-based, when there is a true mission. But truly, this has been working in nonprofit work, whether it is as an employee or as a volunteer, been a very good fit for me. And I've been blessed. And I see that, you know, again, it, you have your reasons for, for doing it. A lot of time, it's recognition. A lot of times, it's because you have a certain talent that you're going to bring in, into the fold. A lot of times, it's for financial reasons that you're able to participate and give. And But for me, what I have found is it's just a very rewarding experience to see the good work that is done with this type of work in nonprofits. So I'll say that as a plug out there for any of you looking to volunteer or thinking of nonprofit work. It can be a great choice. That's exactly where I was going with my next question. How can people get involved with the Hoover City Schools Foundation? Yes. So we want people to find a way that they can participate. Sometimes it's very simple. Just I'll be able to give a donation. I can give my $36. Where do I do that? You do that at the website. You'll find the commit to 36 donation button and you can do that. Other times people are really looking to get their hands dirty and they maybe want to get involved in an event such as denim and dining. We have friends of the foundation where you go in, you fill out your application, you're contacted, and we find out, well, what do you have time for? What, where is the place that we can use your, your time and your talent? Definitely at the website under the Friends of the Foundation tab, and there's an application. And that's really as simple as it is. And for board members, those opportunities do come up a couple of times a year. You just have to be looking out for that. And obviously, there's three-year terms. So we have people roll off, and then we have, you know, position spots that become open. And so I would encourage people that are very interested in that type of work just to send me an email and let me know that's something you're interested in. And I'll be happy to alert you to when those opportunities come up as well. That's great news. Anyone who wants to get involved, just go to the website, which will be in the description here. Thank you for taking time with us today. We know you're very busy, especially dealing with the pandemic and adjusting to its new uh, rules and regulations. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Hoover City Schools Foundation? I just appreciate this so very much. I think it's an organization that people hear about but maybe don't know exactly where we come into play and what we do. So having an opportunity to share that is, is very helpful to me and to our volunteers, to our board. I know that teachers and students, they've suffered through the pandemic. Again, we recognize that. We recognize that there are some needs out there that we didn't even know they were needs until this happened. And we want to be there supporting teachers and students. So 
please know that that is the position of the Hoover City Schools Foundation. We will always stand ready in any way that we can to help students and teachers in the Hoover school system. Thank you. Well said, Shelley. That's it for our podcast. We hope you have a delightful day.